You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. The annual mining in Darba in Cape Town has just concluded. It was from the 5th to the 8th. It's an annual event and it's a terribly important showcase for mining in Africa. This year, there has been a distinct shift in emphasis, if you like, but there are still some uh, enduring questions that I have to ask my guest this morning, and that is sustainability specialist at 91 in London, in Cape Town at the moment, having covered the Indaba, and that is Annika Brower. Annika, the first thing I ask is, was it well attended, and what was the mood? Hi, Lindsay. Um, It was very well attended. There were 9,000 people registered, and I think on average 6,000 people a day showed up, which is, as you can imagine, sort of lots of energy, bustling rooms, people standing on the side, all bums on seats. So, you know, lots of energy in the room, people from all over the world, there was Saudi Arabia, showed up African countries in their masses, but also international investors. We saw many sort of colleagues from the UK flying out. So a very, very well attended in Daba. The mood was, I think, initially one of curiosity. We know specifically in South Africa, there have been a lot of challenges within the sector, but there is also the obvious opportunity that has presented itself, which is this massive shift for the global energy transition to to net zero and what that means for the resources of Africa. So there was, I think, a lot of pressure on the delivery from South Africa's perspective, but a lot of positive energy, a lot of positive momentum that came out of the sessions um, over the four days. Very good. Before we get to the global green industrialization and energy transition and the role that mining in Africa can play in those two movements, I've also got to talk about a simple things that would have come up on many previous years in Darbas, and that is how good are we in Africa of getting the stuff out of the ground, first of all? And secondly, how good are we, particularly in South Africa, transporting the stuff we've dug out the ground to its final destination, whether it be by rail, whether it be by truck, whether it be by ship? Was that also a factor that was brought up? Yeah, that was a major theme, actually. So I would say logistics was presented both as sort of South Africa and Africa's greatest challenge, and in many cases failing, but also an incredible investment opportunity. So, you know, on the sort of extraction and then, you know, exporting and and transporting of our mineral resources, we've seen a 50 to 80% decline in the export of mineral resources since 2008. That's not necessarily due to demand decline, but more the fact that our you know critical infrastructure hasn't been maintained. We know there have been major issues specifically in South Africa with our rail networks due to everything from corruption to copper theft to you know declining maintenance. So there has been issues outside of mining itself and our ability to mine that have impacted the sector drastically those challenges were very much presented as opportunities. And I can give an example of Anglo-American who on day one, the CEO was up on stage and presented what he referred to as a critical infrastructure plan for logistics within South Africa that would support the failing state-owned entity Transnet. 
And his major call to action, I think, from from the private sector to government was let us develop, let us help you build out that critical infrastructure, you know, rebuild the ports and allow us to extract and export to kind of kickstart that economic flywheel. Yes, indeed. And at the State of the Nation address, which has recently um, taken place, there was that sort of hint at infrastructure being to the key, not only to the mining industry, but also to the South African economy. But that need not detain us. Here's an interesting sentence. New exploration and increased efficiencies are critical to support the rapidly increasing demand for transition metals that enable the low carbon global economy. So it's it's very interesting. It's almost like a dichotomy, Annika, to me, that an industry that has been much criticised over the decades for the way it gets resources out of the ground is actually now going to be absolutely essential for global green industrialization and also the energy transition. Absolutely. So what was so interesting was the greatest sort of thematic and biggest message across the mining in Darba was that of sustainability and not sustainability in the kind of green only sense, more than sustainability of we have to extract at a rate that, you know, allows us the globe to transition. So that meets demand that is both positive for the environment, but specifically positive for people. So there was a very big push on how mining can no longer be the industry of yesterday, which was highly extractive you know, dumping tailings all over jungles and in rivers and paying people nothing, shareholders, public and government will no longer allow that. So there is this big focus on sustainability. But the crux of that is, is that the future of the globe, not just of Africa, the future of the globe's energy transition is centered around the extraction of those resources. And one statistic that I found incredible was that if we are to meet the demand of the developed world's energy transition commitments, so to be net zero by 2050, to be only renewable energy, to meet that demand, we'd need to extract three times the amount of copper that has ever been extracted to date. Hmm. Yeah, that is staggering. An old world metal transitioning into the new world. Exactly. And, you know, if we are to meet that demand, the way in which we do so has to be both financially feasible, economically feasible and socially feasible. And there was a really big statement made by Saudi Arabia, by DRC, by Angola and by South Africa that, you know, almost a call to the private sector to say, you are welcome into our countries, you are welcome into our communities, you are welcome to extract from our lands. But people have to gain from this. We have to gain from this. Yes, so Um, mining has to embrace sustainability. It already has in many cases, but there's still a long way to go, isn't there, Annika? Absolutely. There's a long way to go. I think the other sort of interesting anecdote I heard was that, you know, sustainability and ESG is not just doing good. It's the only way that new extraction and expansion of mining will ever be allowed to take place. And they gave examples of Chilean mines that have been 
denounced by local governments because communities haven't been bought into the process and been consulted. And so, you know, that's extraction that could be taking place in a responsible way, but now won't be taking place because of local protest and lack of consultation of relevant stakeholders. So the importance of the survival and the ability of the sector to thrive really comes down to you know, are you bringing local communities and local people and and the needs of those communities into your game plan? One of the things that has been a recurring one, again, over the last few years, maybe even beyond at the mining in Darba, is making it easy to do business in a country in Africa, making it easy, Mm. stripping away regulations and bureaucracy and allowing international investors, international mining companies to come here and not having to jump through hoops and climb barriers every Mm -hmm. time, because that has been a particular criticism of South Africa. Absolutely. And I think this was echoed again in that State of the Nation address we heard last night, which was, we have to cut the red tape to expedite the processes investors are reliant on in order to break ground in the country. I think another you know, amazing stuff that I heard, which was it takes 18 months for an EIA, so Environmental Impact Assessment, to happen in country for any kind of renewable energy power producer or infrastructure developer. So from the moment, you know, you present your project to the moment it gets signed off is an 18-month process. You haven't even broken ground yet. And the new regulation that the president spoke about last night takes that 18 months to 52 days. So we're seeing the critical regulation and that red tape that has for so long deterred investors and made, you know, investing in infrastructure an absolute headache in the country. We're seeing that red tape being cut or at least being drastically reduced. But I think your point speaks, you know, there's a sort of bigger macro element here, which is how do we create a safe investor environment? How do we reduce the perceived risk of investing not only in South Africa, but in Africa more broadly? And a lot of that comes down to government processes, public-private partnerships, trust that, you know, any kind of government guarantee or government-linked process does not become corrupt. But also that we have to be careful, obviously, because there are having an EIA and having environmental impact assessments are critical to avoiding catastrophic disasters on the other end. However, they don't need to take 18 months. And that's what this kind of new process and this new focus on reduced bureaucracy has emerged. So there's a major focus, I think, in government on building the capacity to be able to expedite those processes but also to relook at what may be clunky old school legacy processes that are in place that have so far deterred international investment. All these worthy words from the president um, talking about prioritising regulatory reform, removing impediments to create an Mm. environment for sustained growth in money. It's all very well. You can rip up all the red tape, Annika. But on the other hand, you could be standing there with a nice new mining permit and you say, but wait a second, I've got sporadic energy supply. The logistics are terrible in South Africa and the security of the supply chain also. And corruption is still rife in South Africa. So you get your permit, but you can't do business for those three reasons. Absolutely. And I think that was, again, critical to the messages that we heard over the mining in Darba with the three scourges that were 
kind of limiting new investment and, and new investment and new exploration. There has been zero new exploration since 2008. And they cite exactly that energy availability, failing logistics and security of the supply chains and corruption as the three reasons why. Now, where we were a year ago, you know, I don't think the sort of intersection and interplay between those three reasons has ever been more true than it is today. We're seeing that in ESCOM, how corruption has disrupted energy availability, how poor management has disrupted energy availability, but then how logistics and supply chains, you know, how are we getting our coal to our coal-fired power stations? That's a critical element of keeping the lights on. So all of those systems really have driven us to the point of where we are today. But I think, you know, to be a sort of clear-eyed optimist slightly, I think reaching rock bottom has forced both public and private sector to realize that, one, there is something that we, you know, we have to do this and we have to do this together. And I think on the energy availability side and on the logistics side, we saw private sector, you know, I think about nine gigawatts of energy has been committed to from private mining companies in South Africa. Nine gigawatts of energy is almost, you know, 20% of our current energy demand. So mining companies are now not just mining companies, they're energy generators. They are supplying the critical sources of energy, not just for themselves, but for the communities that they will serve and feeding back into the grid. That is a classic example of where disaster turns into innovation and where resilience in the private sector really kind of will drive us forward. The point on corruption, you know, that can't be solved by private sector alone. That has to be a priority of our government and they have to kind of work very hard to sort of weave that out because I think Logistics are one thing, energy availability is another. Both can be sold by private sector, but corruption cannot. No, it can't. And so let's end on a positive note, that energy availability question and gigawatts being provided by the private sector mining companies themselves. Um, necessity is the mother of invention. Never has that been a more truthful a statement. Annika, thank you very much for your excellent analysis. I hope you enjoy your last few days in Cape Town before you go back to freezing London. Annika Brower is sustainability specialist at 91 in London. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.